Welcome back to Kind of Christian. Today, we welcome Pastor Roger Nix from Believer's Church in Tulsa, Oklahoma. For this one, honestly, you're just going to have to listen to it. Roger's been a pastor for over three decades, married for three decades as well, and he shares his wisdom and, frankly, how he processes some of the stuff that we all struggle with in Christianity. Roger has incredible stories that only God could have written. So, hope you guys enjoy this episode of Kind of Christian with Roger Nix. Well, Roger, thanks for being with us here. Yeah. Um, you're the pastor at a wonderful church in Tulsa, Believer's Church. Yep. Your title's Pastor at Large. Yes. Uh, that sounds cool, like Geraldo Rivera. Yeah, that's you know? right. Is that right. a, it sounds like a television show you could be hosting, yeah. like you know, Roger Nix, Pastor at Large. What is a Pastor at Large? Pastor at Large. Well, I was lead pastor for about uh, almost 20 years, and then just recently, I've be- we've been involved with an international prayer movement called 24-7 Prayer, and it's a movement of prayer, mission, and justice. And um, and so I, through the years, I've helped uh, be part of a team, an apostolic team that helps steward and serve other communities as well. So this is just a kind of a transi- transition into a season of really being able to be more freed up to, to work with other communities and other pastors and other churches. So it's kind of a season of life thing too. Now, for those of us who may not know what apostolic team is, yeah. um, I've always wanted to be called an apostle. No <laughs> one has ever actually applied that uh, language to my name, but what is an apostolic team? An apostolic team is a, is a five-fold ministry team that brings together uh, the gifts of the apostolic, prophetic, evangelistic pastor and teacher to help build up a body or a community. And so we're just, uh, yeah, a group of like-minded uh, ministers of the gospel that have different graces and gifts that we serve together and bring and bring all of those gifts together so that a church can be healthy and whole and, um, and function. Okay, so basically there are spiritual gifts in the church and then you guys basically bring together people with each one of these particular gifts and then go around basically blessing and uh, starting right. various projects in cities and helping yeah. uh, just basically spread awareness. Right. You're the outreach team? Well, we, we actually are there to primarily help make sure that the church's leadership is functioning. So we come in and we help them through the process of learning how to become a spiritual community that listens and hears God and can discern God's leading together. We believe Jesus is the head of the church. He wants to build his church. He's the foundation of the church. He He's the builder of the church, right? But sometimes we actually can get ahead of, of what God wants to do. So actually helping leaders learn how to, to hear God together and how to flow in all of the gifts and graces is just part of what a a healthy church should be and look like. And and so, you know, we, we all need help in that. Right? Oh, okay. Well, I'm so glad you brought up uh, hearing God because that's a topic of a lot of conversation we have on this show. How do you know something is God versus just intuition, your stomach, yeah. bad seafood? <clears throat> well, um, Something that, that for me that I've come to understand in, in this season of my life, you know, obviously is, is that hearing God is more of an art than a science, okay? And it's a bit of a dance uh, because we, you know, we have our will, right? God has his will. Satan has his will, right? And so there's this interplay and, and exchange of 
of forces that are at work in the earth and in our life. And, and so uh, the way that I've come to understand discerning God's will, there's, there's a few things that are really important. One is I have, to, I have to really want to do God's will. I have to be committed to, to want to know God. Uh, Romans 12, 2 says, you know, don't be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may know the good, perfect, acceptable will of God. So there's this relationship between my own uh, personal transformation that I'm committed to let God have his way and have his work in my life. And that when I do that, then I can, I can trust that the things that I want in my life are that God is orchestrating those things, right? And so I guess for me, uh, as of late, I've come to understand that, that sometimes, you know, uh, the psalmist said, delight yourself in the Lord and he'll give you the desires of your heart. And our desires play a big part of, of uh, how God leads us and speaks to us. And I didn't used to think that. I used to think, well, you know, it, it's, I can't have any, you know, my own desires. It's got to be what God wants, right? And so uh, that's a long answer to just say, I'm, I'm coming to learn that I have to pay attention to the, uh, what, what some of the church fathers called the consolation and the desolation of my own soul, right? Because the will of God gets played out in my own soul, right? He's working with this living, breathing human being, right? And it's like, we're not automatons, right? So God's not just, you know, programmed us to do his will. But what he has done is, is invited us into this, this beautiful dance and this beautiful relationship where we can actually um, uh, follow. Sometimes it feels like following breadcrumbs, right? Sometimes it feels like, you know, the burning bush where you just can't miss it. And I think the most important thing is just uh, for me is am I am I alive? Am I uh, awake to the the presence of God in my life, leading me and and wanting me? So, uh, yeah, sometimes it can even feel you know sometimes even the bad pizza feel can maybe be you know one of the ways that God is trying to lead us. So, so do you think it's fair? Um, a lot of folks I talk to, uh, I've always struggled with this too. Is mm-hmm. that you know, if, if God is all about relationship, which I think most people yeah. would summarize that, you know, if there is an infinite omniscient being, the <laughs> right. only reason he would have any reason to create more people is that he just enjoys relationship, yeah. right? right? So if that is the goal, <laughs> right, and that seems to be the goal from reading the Bible, why, why is it so tough and more of an art and, and so tough to, seemingly tough to find because he's, yeah. he's invisible and he, uh, you know, doesn't, uh, and... You know, he says he speaks in a still small voice, which right. it seems like for a lot of people, we would rather have the burning bush experience yeah. and yeah. to know that God is real that way. Well, man, the, the intricacies of the human soul and the, the way that we are, are wired, I sometimes think that, man, if, if God were always there, that um, we as humans might soon grow tired of him being always there, you know, mm. that there's this aspect of God that some of the church fathers call the absconding God, the God who hides, the guy, the God who 
um, you know, isn't always readily accessible because, um, because my, again, it comes back to my desire and my hunger. What am I hungering after? What am I desiring after? And if I, if I don't sense God's there all the time, then uh, I, I kind of get to go on a little bit of a, of a chase. You know, I get to the, the pursuit, right? The divine romance. There's this, there is this, you know, kind of give and take a little bit. And um, yeah, I th- so I think sometimes we, we look at God's absence as some kind of cruel, you know, game that God is playing. But I, I don't think we fully understand the nature. You know, there's so much mystery. And what I've come to just have to embrace in faith is that there's a lot of mystery to faith. And I used to, I used to hate it because our rational Western minds want to know everything there is and we want to categorize it and we want to you know theologize it we want to do all that stuff but the reality is that actually when i can recognize that there's there's more about god that i don't know than there is that i do know then i can embrace this uh the awe and the power and the the majesty and the beauty of a god that oh okay and god you know sometimes um he comes in ways and times and moments most of the time when I'm not even pursuing him, you know, I'm driving down the highway and I'm all of a sudden God shows up in the car. I'm having a thought and I'm like, God, wow. You know, so uh, I don't know that we're supposed to ever get our hands around it, even though we really want to. I don't know what freeways you're driving because uh, I have not heard God on the 405 <laughs> or the five or any of those. Well, that that's probably true. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I think you have to be on a lo- a little bit lonelier stretch of oh, yeah, highway. Okay. He'll more back, he's more of a back. <laughs> I'm from roads. Oklahoma, so we have we have those. <laughs> yeah, you've got more <laughs> more back roads for that. Uh, so I guess I'd love to learn a little bit more about your journey of faith, how you ultimately became a Christian, a pastor, and then sure. kind of culminating in how you, Roger Nix, yeah. someone asks you, says, "How do you know God is real? Um, how does that all play together for you?" Yeah. Yeah. So. Um, I think um, how I've come to know Christ is through the many different dimensions of my life. Uh, I first came to know Christ in the context of my family. My mom and dad, uh, I grew up in a Methodist church, uh, but my mom and dad kind of found themselves in their late 30s, early 40s. They were, I would say they were social Christians, and and they were probably headed towards some some you know, pretty messy stuff in their own lives. And uh, about that time in the church movement, the charismatic movement was happening in the 70s and, and the, the Jesus movement was happening. And, and so there was a move of God that my mom and dad got kind of swept up in and, and they found, uh, they encountered Jesus in a way that changed their life, changed the direction of their life. So I was young but I got caught up in that, swept up in that, right? And uh, I found Jesus in early days, and and especially back then, they were having, you know, afterglow meetings, all kinds of things. And so, as a kid, I just was, it, it was something that I, I more was caught than than maybe even taught a little bit. And I'm sorry, what's an afterglow meeting? Oh, that was uh, <laughs> that's what 
you know, like if you were a Methodist and you had your traditional service, then everybody would go to somebody's house afterwards. And, and then the real fireworks would start. Oh, that's start, the real right? party. Okay. That's the real party. Okay. Right? So it's like, so right, they call leave it, the wedding, they, head out yeah, to the bar afterwards. Exactly. 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 Yeah. That kind of thing. So right, we got to have an afterglow party. So there was a little bit of a, that, yeah, that was a, an old seventies, uh, charismatic term that I just pulled out. But, uh, <laughs> so, but I knew Christ through, uh, I think we come to know Christ in ways uh, like, like belonging and family and identity and, and, and in the safety of, you know, as a child having, I can remember, you know, reading the scriptures and reading the Bible stories and, and actually kind of falling in love with, with Jesus, you know, and, uh, at that age, right. As, uh, as I knew him then, and then I, I came to know, you know, in the, when I was 18, I was at a, a summer camp and the Lord, I, I felt this sense of calling. Like the Lord said, Hey, I want you to serve me. I want you to give your life to me. And I was like, I don't know what that means, but I said, okay. And so, uh, I changed, I was going to pre-med school, went to, uh, to Oral Roberts university, studied Bible, helped launch a, a production company called impact productions that was designed to reach a sight and sound generation. We started, an evangelistic uh, theatrical production company started touring the U.S. and the globe, and uh, saw hundreds of thousands of people come to Jesus in those years. For fifteen years, my wife and I traveled, and and I came to know Christ in, in my twenties and thirties as uh, I began to give Him away. Right, and there's there's aspects about Jesus that you don't really know, and aspects about the gospel that you can't know until you begin to try to give it away to other people. And so uh, Jesus became real to me in a way that as I saw other people uh, respond to the, the seed of the gospel, because that's, that's what the gospel is. It's a seed. And, and you know, Jesus talked about it in, in Matthew 13, like, you know, each of us have a certain soil in our hearts. Right. And so, and then, I began to, you know, even though I, I, I grew up in the faith, even though I, uh, you know, I was serving Jesus, I also had a, a dark side in my life. When I was young, I'd gotten exposed to pornography. I'd gotten exposed uh, at a real early age to some sexualized behavior that I was just too young to know what was going on. And so, <clears throat> man, I, I had this uh, addiction, you know, a sexual addiction that, that was always kind of like this thorn in my flesh. And so uh, I met Jesus in my 30s because I knew that, you know, this was going to destroy my life through really uh, through the 12 steps. But it was actually uh, most people don't a lot of people don't realize this, but the 12 steps were actually began through a Christ-centered uh, group of guys that were just like, we want to be honest, we want to be accountable and we we recognize that that I, we don't have our life together, and and so so I've met Jesus in a way as my deliverer and my savior, you know, uh, in my thirties, and then you know I became a pastor when I was forty, uh, and and I began to have to lean into Him because I didn't know what the heck I was doing, I was clueless, and I needed you know Him to lead, and I, I met Jesus as this shepherd, this really good shepherd. And, um, I, I, um, 
we adopted in, a, in our 40s, we adopted a young, uh, who uh, he's 22, he's special needs. And I, uh, through that, we've gone through a lot of suffering and, and I've met Jesus in, in, in my suffering. So I, I think the thing about all of us is that we have to keep understanding that we keep meeting Jesus in the circumstances of our life in new and different ways. And we have to keep returning to him because there's more of him that we will discover and know in these different ways. So if you ask me how I came to know Christ, I'm still coming to know Christ. I'm still coming to a place of understanding uh, just his deep uh, love for us. So you've said several times when you met Christ. And so trying to take <laughs> yeah, a step yeah. back and yeah, yeah. no, and you know, I, that's for, old evangelical language. No, no. I, you probably learned that at the afterglow party. Um, but uh, bingo, right. How do you, when, if you're trying to explain this to someone who yeah. doesn't have a framework for faith or sure. know, how, how would we understand what it means to meet Christ? Is that a experience? Do you, is it a, you've read the, the truths of the gospel and then you go out and you try applying them and they seem to be real. Mm-hmm. What does that encompass to meet Christ? Cause I, I hear that phrase a lot um, yeah. from guests and I, I've always wondered what that exactly means. Well, I think uh, there's there's two different levels uh, or, or aspects of that. <clears throat> One is that uh, sometimes there are, you know, we all have different stories of how how we've come to a place of faith in our lives. And some people encounter Jesus in like these Damascus Road experiences, which is like Paul the Apostle, who's, man, he's knocked off his, his donkey onto the ground and he's blinded i mean and he hears the audible voice of god you know but not everybody has that encounter right there's others who encounter jesus in in more subtle ways and i think the thing is that you know we're all wired for god we're all wired for this deep intimate relationship and but sometimes we we're all spiritually blind too so we have to have these moments where we we wake up or we come alive to the the realities that there's there's more to this life than just what mm-hmm. we can see or taste or touch you know and so uh you know the the way again the way Jesus describes the kingdom is that it's it's like a little seed it begins like a little seed in our heart this idea that i think there's something more to this life. I think I was made for more. I think, you know, we're, we were made in the, in the image of God. And so, uh, you know, the gospel is pretty simple, right? We, we, we live in a broken world. It doesn't take much to look around and see all of the pain and hurt and brokenness. Right. And, and that brokenness is, you know, we're all born into that brokenness that's sin. Right. And I, and I say, that if we die in brokenness, that would be hell, right? To die in our brokenness. Mm-hmm. And that, but that wasn't God's perfect plan. And so God gave us, you know, uh, sent us his son to be the perfect theological revelation of God's heart for all of us, to, to show us the way back to God. So that when we, we trust in him, we put our hope in him, we put our faith in him, we, we believe that that Jesus really is who he said he was. And that, um, as Dallas Willard says, that there's nothing that apprenticeship to Jesus cannot uh, cure or heal or solve. There's no problem or no issue in my life. And that's a, that's a place of faith, right? To trust that if I'm, 
if I will follow Jesus and, and in my deep love for him, uh, obey his commands, that somehow God's going to bring about uh, his will and, and my life's going to be transformed. So in this process <laughs> of becoming a, a Christian and a follower of Christ, did you ever have anything, have you ever had an experience or anything that borders on a either road to Damascus or some sort of gnarly experience with prayer or something that you just had yeah. to go, man, like that's, that could be coincidental, but that's just crazy. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, one of my favorite God stories for me is, uh, it does have to do with my adoption with my, uh, son who came to us as a foster child when he was two months old and his, uh, his birth mom had dropped him, uh, off at a adoption agency and um, she knew that she needed help. She couldn't take care of him. And so out of, out of the kindness of her own heart, she, she did that. But she kind of, she, once she did that, she just kind of disappeared out of the scene. And so we took the baby as a foster child. And very quickly, he won our hearts. And so we moved into this adoptive uh, parent role. But the mom had, had kind of disappeared and really didn't terminate her parental rights and all the things that she had to do. Right. So, so we're six months in and we're, we're, we've got this whole, uh, opportunity to kind of adopt this baby. And we realize we have to find the mom. And so, man, I, I did everything I could to find her hired private eyes. I mean, we went, you know, and she was nowhere to be found. And she, you know, the truth is that she, um, she was pretty transient. And so, uh, the last I heard, she was in Oklahoma City, um, and we were kind of down to the wire where we had to find her to be able to to move forward with this adoption. So it was a Sunday morning. I drove to Oklahoma City. I had some flyers in my hand. I had there was a, a shelter that I had heard she had been out. We went the, to the shelter. They knew her, but she wasn't there. And so I just began to say, God. Uh, at church, we'd been talking about just, you know, the kind of the listening to the Holy Spirit in the, in the moment and, and following him and letting him lead you. And could, could he really lead you, uh, you know? And, and so I began to pray. I said, Lord, uh, help me find her. You know, would you lead me? I'm just going to drive around Oklahoma City. And if you tell me to turn down the street, you tell me to stop at this house and I'll go knock on the door. You just tell me. It was a beautiful Sunday day. And Long story short, you know, I'm, I'm uh, kind of driving around. I'm in downtown OKC, and in about 10 or 15 minutes, I see this little, you know, church that was just getting out. I, I walked up. It was a little mission church. They were getting ready to feed a lot of their folks, and I, uh, I asked the pastor. I said, look, I'm, I'm trying to find this woman. He said, oh, I recognize her, but she's not here today. But I can, I can tell you where she lives because I've been picking her up, you know. And so I've been in Oklahoma City, the largest, you know, land, land mass wise, it's the largest city in the U.S., right? Really? Wow. Yeah. And I'm in Oklahoma City and in about 30 minutes time, the Lord had led me to Anthony's birth mom, my son's, my son's birth mom. And for me in that moment, it was just, it, it, it was like, you know, it, it may not sound like much, but for me, I had no clue where she was. I had no phone number. I had nothing to go off of except 
the leading of the Holy Spirit, and he led me to a specific place, a specific moment in time. This church had only been there for a few weeks. They had just started up. Had I been there you know, later, earlier mm. in time, I mean, everything came together, and it was just this God moment. And in that moment, I was like, okay, Lord. And we were going to need that uh, just because we've been on a long journey with him. But um, So you, did you go to her house and find her? Yeah, yeah, yeah took me right to her. So she was home. That's good. She was home. <laughs> she was like, yeah, absolutely. You know? And so, wow. uh, uh, Pete Gregg uses that story in his book, how to pray about just, you know, sometimes, uh, we, we just have to learn to, to trust the Lord. You know, you hear the, you know, the lost key prayer, right? You know, I, God help me find my keys, you know, and, and people have found those moments. God loves to help us find lost things. I'm just convinced. When I pray and my keys are lost, I always pray that when I find the keys, it's to a different car. Um, yeah. But, uh, I was like, you know, throwing a little mirror, you know, bold right. faith, right? Could, could, yeah. Could it be a different key, Lord? That's right. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I lost them on purpose. You know? um, sorry. So I always have to ask about prayer. Yeah. Uh, what does prayer look like for you? Uh, and what is what is a pastor's advice on prayer yeah. to christians around the world wow well prayer is absolutely uh, just the most important lifeline prayer is uh, is like breathing um i i i feel like prayer is our our breath in the spiritual life and um some things that i've learned along the way you know uh as i said i grew up in the charismatic movement so uh, charismatics pray loud. They pray uh, a lot, and even when they don't know what to say, they, you know, they pray in tongues, right? So there, there's all kinds of of expressions of prayer. But uh, in this season of my life, I've I've come to realize uh, that there are times where uh, what has worked for us before no longer works for us. And and I'm not saying that you know that kind of prayer doesn't work, but I'm just saying that. Uh, there's so many different dimensions to prayer uh, in uh, silent prayer. There's breath prayers. Uh, I, I, I just want to people to understand that uh, there's just a, so much diversity and variety in the way that we can connect with our creator and connect with God and connect in prayer um, and learning how to, to stay you know, we were made for, for oneness, for union with God. And prayer is that thing that, that keeps our heart connected to him. And so for me, uh, you know, I, uh, Paul said, you know, pray in all ways at all times. And, and I'm kind of like, you know, people have lots of different ways they like to pray. There's the intercessors, right? And they love, you know, just to go at it that way. And there's silent prayer and contemplative prayer and and there's praying the Psalms, and and uh, and I just believe that prayer is it's it is it's like our very breath. It is the way that we communicate our heart and our desires. It's the way that we listen and discern what God is doing and saying in our souls. And and so, um, yeah, I'm a big fan of prayer. <laughs> and I guess callously, uh, I have to ask, you know, for for those for the skeptics, like, yeah, you'd say prayer works. Yeah, man, that 
that just is a, a such a loaded. Uh, I, I know, but I'm saying you've statement. seen you've seen you've seen answered prayers. I mean, you just told yeah, an incredible story, but right? Like, yeah, I've seen I've seen answered prayer, and I've seen lots of prayers that haven't been answered. And um, and if if prayer is only about getting what we what we want, then we've missed the point of prayer, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that again, this comes back to. If we look at Jesus and we look at his, the purpose of his prayer life was to actually understand the heart of the Father so that he could do it. And so that we could actually go into the earth and, and do the will of God. And there's this really important connection and relationship between how I live my life and what I do with my life. And, and the prayer and intimacy. So there's this rhythm of intimacy with God through prayer and then engagement in the world, whether that's in mission or justice or, or all the different ways that, you know, whether it's just being a good dad and being a good husband and being a good father, you know, all the things that, that the source of that for me comes uh, through prayer because, man, my, my life is unmanageable. I can't, I can't keep it all together. And so, so much of prayer is learning, uh, you know, the power of prayer is learning to surrender and relinquish, uh, you know, the things that we as human beings want most, right? We want power and control. We want affirmation and acceptance, and we want security and safety. And, and life doesn't always uh, bring those things, right? And, and, Unfortunately uh, not. Yeah. And so I... I'm learning, you know, so much of prayer is just coming to this place of being where, where my soul is centered, so centered in God and in through Christ that that I can um, that I can go through pretty much any situation or any circumstance and and know that regardless of the outcome, that God is there, God's with me, God is good, God loves me, I belong. Uh, that that there's. As, as Paul said, there's nothing that can separate me from the love of God because this whole faith thing, as Paul said in, in Galatians 5, uh, 6, he says that the whole thing is not whether you're circumcised or uncircumcised. It's not what you do or what you don't do. It is faith expressing itself in love, right? And so for me, love is the highest, most important thing. Am I... Am I uh, living and walking in the love of God, and am I receiving the love of God so that I then can give the love of God uh, away to others? Um. <laughs> well, I do want to go into a little bit of a, a pastoral Uh-oh. hot seat. Here we go. Uh, got some. Let's uh, do it. Got some questions. I just always want to want to ask. Um, I love I love asking. <laughs> as a, so. Don't worry. Um, these don't have to be yeah. super fleshed out. None of us, um, Mark and I, don't know the answers to these questions. Good. Either, so. good, good, good. All right, so we kind of touched on this, but bottom line is, how do you, at a function level, know God is real? Is it is your life, you've, you've seen the Bible proven true, you've seen answered prayers, is it a mix of all these things? How do you... you know, how do I know God's real and true? Uh, well, uh, I think one of the most obvious... For me, one of the things I've come to to trust is that uh, before we had the Bible, there was another Bible uh, that we uh, actually call creation. Uh, sometimes mm. creation is the first Bible. Mm. So uh, I just 
you know, have spent the last week, uh, you know, up at Morro Bay in California and hiking around San Luis Obispo, coming down here, you know, you know, just being in California, man, it's, you know, uh, the mountains and the ocean and the, and the, the wildlife and, you know, home all prices. of that. Huh? And the home prices. Well, we, we, yeah, that's... It costs a lot to live in creation, man. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, don't get me started on that. But so uh, I think that we have, again, so much of the spiritual journey is about just, am I, am I awake? Am I alive? Am I, can I see what all around me when I see the beauty of creation, right? So there's, that's one of the ways I know God is real is through his first Bible because creation's just shouting the reality of a creator, the reality of a designer. Uh, and then, you know, through the, the scriptures, you know, the, the God story that, that has come to us, which is incredibly unique. And, and Jesus' own life of just, you know, coming to kind of put all the pieces together, right? Yeah. Of like, wow, okay, Jesus, you you are the incarnation. You you your perfect theology. You came to reveal God's heart. So I put my, you know, uh, trust in that as well. That's helped me to understand, you know, that I'm made in the image of God, right? My own my own interior life and world, you know, my soul that just knows I'm, you know, I'm, I'm kind of unique from all other creation, you know, I'm kind of put on the planet to help steward a planet and I'm all of that together. And then just the context of things like love and marriage and family and community, those things that, that I'm a part of where you taste, you, you taste something, you know, you, you just, it's like this, this echo that resounds through the earth that God, you're alive, you're real, that, that you have designed me and created me with purpose and on purpose. So those, those would be some of my, (laughs) my ways of communicating that. Okay. All right. This one's a weird one. Okay. This one was submitted. Okay. Uh, So (laughs) this is a strange one. God, why doesn't God seemingly, I'll say seemingly, heal amputees more often. We hear about a lot of yeah. healings. We've seen, you know, there's the sort of, I don't call them street performers, but there's that trick where people get prayed for and their leg seems to grow out. Um, you <laughs> yeah. know, you hear about right. headaches and backs being healed, yeah. but you know, what about like, doesn't it seem like that would be a, a clear way for God? To yeah. Do, it'd be like something? a top 10, right? You yeah, I, it would be. <laughs> so why doesn't God heal amputees more often? Wow. Yeah. I know. <laughs> uh, I think I, and this is just where I'm at, and I, I think where I've come to understand that even, you know, God's designed healing in our bodies. I mean, I think God's heart is for healing. The way I look at, you know, uh, you know just the world and life. But... <clears throat> There was something about the miraculous, the supernatural, that J- Jesus connected to as a as a sign and a, as a wonder and a, as a way of demonstrating that that the kingdom of heaven. There's something here in earth that has come, 
that the beginning of God's rule and reign in our earth is here, okay? So the reality is that I, I, while I don't know why he doesn't do it all the time, while he doesn't uh, heal, you know, do certain kinds of miracles, I do know that miracles happen, right? I've watched, uh, we have a gal in our church who, who has been fighting this really, really nasty cancer for about four or five years, man. And she's done stem cell therapy and, and she's, it's just devastated her body. And, and, and just this week we got word that, uh, she, uh, has been declared disease free that the PET scans have come back. And, and honestly, her faith and her tenacity were, were just an inspiration because I, I was, you know, I'm a, I'm a pastor. I'm supposed to be the man of faith, right? But I kind of like, whew. And so there, there's aspects of, uh, of our life where I go, okay, God, you know, why, why her and why not others who, you know, have been praying the same prayers? And, and all I know is that when God um, does the miraculous, it, it, it again, kind of caught, it's kind of like a burning bush. Right? I turn aside and it causes me to wonder and to think about God and to say, oh, okay, God, you are real. God, your kingdom is here on earth, that there is power in prayer and that we're supposed to persevere in prayer. There's dynamics of prayer, man, I don't understand and I, I won't get. But Jesus said, look, just keep persevering in prayer. He gave us parable after parable that just said, there's things that happen through, um, not, not because you're a friend of God, not because God is just, but because you persevere. And so there's something in, in that, that uh, in what we have to be careful in is trying to uh, make a formula out of it so that we can actually kind of kind of get that. So best best guess, I guess, is uh, I don't know, but I do know that uh, there's there's something about God that wants to to cause us to turn aside, and so he he does miracles, and uh, he, he, even today, and I have no I have no clue why uh, there seems to be some some random aspect of it, you know, mm. that, that makes it, that makes it hard, you know? Yeah. I, I think I do I, actually one aspect that I, I, I don't think we're very good at as Christians is we, we have a either a, an underdeveloped eschatology and theology in the way that we, you know, Jesus does, Paul said, I want to know Christ and I want to know the power of his resurrection, but I also want to participate in his sufferings, right? And there's something, uh, the, the two most transformative things in our life, Ryan, are, are one is God's great love and the other is life's great pain. And uh, without God's great love, life's great pain can be very deforming, right? Mm-hmm. But if I enter into Christ's great love, and understand that the heart of the Father is good, then I have seen God do some unbelievable miracles. And and I don't mean healing miracles. I mean transformative miracles in people's life who have walked through some really participated in what I would call the sufferings of Christ. We call this the Paschal mystery. There's a mystery about uh, Jesus actually inviting us as followers of Jesus into the life, death, resurrection, and ascension of Christ. So 
that's and that's a big i mean you could spend a whole topic on that ask nt right when you when you yeah. do that <laughs> <laughs> okay so this one old testament always is a little out there yeah. it seems right so this morning i was going over just some i was reading in the old testament you know there's commands in leviticus don't have fabric of two different it literally says don't wear clothes woven with two types of fabric yeah. right Right. And that violates a lot of my closet, right? Yeah. Uh, the other one, you know, just you know, even just the the prohibition against shellfish, literally calling them an abomination. I know, right? And who doesn't like? I mean, shrimp. Well, hey, uh, you know, I'm from the south, right? So he said you can't soak meat in in its in its milk. That's chicken fried steak, bro. So God's against chicken fried steak too. Okay, so these are See, prohibitions. These are, these are deep things. <laughs> these are these. No, I know these issues touch at home. And then in the New Testament, yeah. Peter gets this, we'll call it, you know, I'm being facetious here, but a, a dream that, hey, by the way, it's all good now. You totally can eat shellfish. Yeah. And you totally can do this stuff. Does it ever strike you as odd that it just, God just kind of went, I guess, undid all that stuff? Yeah. I mean, I can go back and see there's wisdom. Maybe there yeah. was like, hey, shellfish might be contaminated with stuff. And there's, you know, there are things that were designed back mm -hmm. then that were practical wisdom. But then all of a sudden it's okay. I know that that has bothered me in the past, and I know some of my other friends are like, "How come all that stuff is literally called an abomination?" And now all of a sudden yeah, it's uh, exactly you can eat whatever you want now. <laughs> yeah my my only uh, my only answer or thought in, in something like this is 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 you have to take the whole narrative of scripture as kind of this. Uh, developmental journey right where uh you know has god changed or is it is it we as human beings that have have to change and mature in our understanding of of who god is and you know why would god enter into some kind of you know relationship we can talk about how the old testament was a, a type you know there, there it was a pattern uh it was there to prove that no matter you know, uh, no matter what God asked of us, we couldn't really do it apart from, you know, uh, needing a savior, you know, those kind of, those kind of answers that are, I don't know, they, they're a little bit helpful for me to be able to think, uh, I'm a grateful that I, I wasn't alive in that era. Right. Uh, <laughs> B that, um, Jesus, uh, I have to look at the God story through through the filter of Jesus. He's my hermeneutic, in other words, so that the the reality is um, that there are aspects of how God related to the children of Israel that I'll never fully understand. But there's other aspects and dimensions of God's heart, you know, and uh, you know, were there really uh, health? you know, concerns or, you know, may, maybe there were, you know, I, I don't know. <laughs> but all I can say is um, I'm grateful that, uh, you know, through the God story narrative, we've come to understand the heart of God through Jesus. And I'm glad I live on this side of, <laughs> of the cross. Yeah, it, reading the Old Testament, it seems a, a pretty tough time to dwell in. It, it I, is. I guess that goes into my next question. Uh, there was a, it's in Kings, I believe, and yeah. they're talking about Josiah, and he literally lined up all the pagan priests, so the priests of other religions, <laughs> and lines them up and s 
basically murders them and sacrifices yeah. them on their yeah. own altars. Right. And I know that people have come to me in the past and be like, okay, God says I am the God who is loving, slow to anger. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm with you. Like all these adjectives that we really love. And yet mm-hmm. this king is condoned for lining up, albeit people who are opposed to God. Yep. Uh, and yeah. so how do we work through, why is that like not murder? Because I see a lot of people saying that is contradiction. The God yeah. of peace and love yeah. is seems to be extolling the virtues of his servants who commit the atrocities that he will not do himself. Does yeah. that ever kind of, do you ever wrestle with that? <laughs> I try not to. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I know. And you go, I'm on hand. Like, just go eat your shellfish now and be happy, right? <laughs> uh, uh I mean, I, I, I think about, you know, the, the, the wrath of God, right? Because that's basically what we're dealing with is this issue of, you know, why, why did it seem like God was so angry? <laughs> right. Cause you read Jesus, right? Jesus is like, whoa, whoa, like, yeah, Hey, yeah. Whoa, whoa, whoa. go and sin no right. more. I'm not yeah. judging you. The old Testament is like, line them up and kill every other one of them. Yeah. Right. And it does seem to be a personality yeah. change. And, and you know, I've got a really good pat answer, but I can't, I can't remember. It sounds really good, you know, really smart. We can edit but, it in later but, if you want to. Yeah, if, I'll, it I'll send it to you. Yeah, send it to me and we'll phone but it in. It, it basically, the idea of we have to understand that the wrath of God is not towards, uh, you know, his creation. It's, it's, towards, it's towards the things because we are the object of his affection. We are the, the crown of his creation. But it's, it's anything that uh, would get in the way of us as the object of his affection, right? And, and I, I don't think, I think it must be that we, we don't fully understand the, the nature of maybe, maybe, you know, sin or idolatry or all of the things that in the Old Testament were were the things that that pulled people away from this, you know, passion. And I think if you if you really read through, and man, this is there's theologians who explain this so much better than I can. But just the reality of, you you know, God's God's heart for a people for uh, for His creation to be in relationship. And it and the Old Testament seems kind of like man. Why wouldn't you be? Because, you know, <laughs> if you tick him off, he's, he's going to knock you, you know, he's going to knock you off. Right. You know, that kind of, that kind of thing. And, and yet, I don't know. I don't know if it, if there's this kind of developmental psyche that, you know, at that time, that was the way God had to relate to people. I, I don't know. Yeah, no, it's, it's a tough, <laughs> and don't worry. We don't, I, 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 I know always, you're not expecting, you know, the end all. Well, I, if I, I did solve it, I think we'd break the internet. Yeah, you we know? would. We Imagine totally that as a video, you know, <laughs> pastor solves theological issue of the ages. I mean, you'd be, you'd yeah. be huge. And there. there's guys who are trying, so. Yeah, I know. So <laughs> get there. <laughs> all right. Closing up here. So world's crazy right now. Yeah. Right. A lot of pain in the world right now. A lot of uncertainty. A lot of young folks wondering like, you know, this, this is not the life that I kind of grew up in and yeah. like, what's, what's next. Yeah. What is a pastor's advice to specifically younger generations right now in the midst of all this yeah. chaos and uncertainty? Yeah. What's your biggest piece of advice for them? Um, there's a great uh, scripture in Hosea uh, chapter 12, verse six. And it says, uh, in essence, basically, it says, God says, return to me 
hold fast to love and justice and wait expectantly for God, for your God. And, and so my advice would be that um, we're not the, we're certainly not the um, only time in history where there's been a lot of crazy. Um, in fact, we probably, if we were to compare it to some of the other crazy, we'd probably go, oh, this is, this is nothing, you know, but it is something to us. We have to walk through it. And, um, I think the most important quality and, and the thing that we have to embrace is just, uh, a resilience and a, and a perseverance in our faith. I think the Lord is inviting us in, in everything that we go through, we ha- this is the question we have to ask. What's the invitation from God? What's the invitation from God in, in what I'm walking through personally or what I'm walking through? Uh, there, there's just a lot, there's a lot going on in the atmosphere. And I had, a, I had a, a really good pastor friend of mine, one of my mentors, when I first started, it, I asked him, you know, I said, Billy Joe, what, what do you want me to what's the one thing you would tell me as a, as a young pastor starting out? And he said, he said, look, man, if, if you don't get bitter, you're going to make it, you'll make it. Right. And so I, I think, you know, God doesn't waste anything. He uses everything. I think we're in some, a, a pivotal time where we're seeing, you know, uh, the opportunity for the, the kingdom to come in greater ways but there's a, there is there's some shaking going on right now. There's a lot of shaking going on, and you see, you know, uh, everything from uh, you know all the socioeconomic issues and the racial justice issues and all of these things. And we we can't forget that we ultimately are citizens of heaven. If you are a follower of Jesus, then then you, you have to put everything in that perspective, right? People say, you know, I, I love what Rick Warren says, you know, when he was asked if he was a Democrat or Republican, he says, man, I'm for the whole bird, you know, and I like that. You know, the reality is I'm not left wing or right wing. I'm, I'm for the whole thing, right? Because we are, uh, I've worked with so many different churches and pastors over the years in our evangelistic ministry and, and through the 24-7 prayer movement. And we're not as different as we think we are. We all kind of want the same things when we're, we're hungry. We just, we're just on different sides of the mountain, you know, and we've got to understand that if we'll, you know, keep persevering and coming to this place and, and keep our eyes on, on Jesus in a way that we won't be, uh, discouraged. We won't be distracted. We shouldn't be surprised, you know, at these things. Mm-hmm. Jesus talked about them, you know, uh, and, and yet, uh, so my advice would be, man, just stay the course. Uh, one of my favorite scriptures is w- where Jesus says, he who endures to the end shall be saved. This, you know, the, the race, the human race is not, you know, it's, it's not a cakewalk, right? It is, uh, it's challenging and it's tough. And, and, uh, and we have to recognize just our simple obedience to Jesus, right, is, and our love for him is going to help us stay the course and, and stay true in this time. All right. Pastor Nix, how long have you been married? 37 years. 37 years. Yep. 38 this August. Congratulations. Thank you. 
All right, you must have picked up a nugget or two of wisdom in 38 years of marriage. Yeah. Uh, what's single biggest piece of advice for <laughs> relationships, marriage? Woo! Man. Your wife will be watching this episode, yes, by the way. She so will. choose your she words carefully. Will. Choose my words wisely. Wow. Well, I, I think the the you know, what I've come to realize, and this has to do with just you know, being in a committed relationship, whether it's your wife with your kids, you know, I've got a special needs adult son that has been the most challenging thing that would have destroyed our marriage, you know? And, and so, um, you know, at the end of the day, unconditional love requires unconditional liability. (laughs) And by that, what I mean by unconditional love requires unconditional liabilities is you you, you got to be willing to, no matter what comes, and, and, and you know em, embrace it. It means you're gonna uh, you're gonna get you're gonna get hurt. You're gonna get humiliated. You're gonna get uh, uh, you're not gonna get your way all the time. You're you're not gonna you know um, you, you have to be willing to surrender yourself humble yourself you have to keep you know coming back at the end of the day and just to say i i love you regardless i regret i love you no matter how hard this is no matter how different you are than me i'm you know no matter the fact that i i cannot wrap my head around how you could see this situation this way right that's unconditional liability and I think um, we we have to come to a place where we understand. Now, I'm not talking about doesn't mean that you know you you just take abuse. You know, if you're in an abusive relationship, that's a different dynamic. But what I am talking about is that there are times where we feel like I'm in an abusive relationship, even though I'm not. You know, and so the reality is that, disclaimer: he's not in. Yeah, one. I'm not in one. Right? <laughs> we have an amazing marriage, but we you know uh, we. We, we've been through our challenges, but we we work really hard at, at the end of the day to just uh, keep our hearts open to one another, right? And that's what unconditional love is. It's just the the commitment. I'm going to always keep my heart open to you, you know, no matter what happens. And that means that I I get to allow everything that happens in our relationship to form me and shape me and, and uh, and teach me what true love really is. So, thirty-eight years, man, that is incredible. Congratulations! Uh, thanks. That is awesome. Appreciate it. <laughs> all right, I think that's all the time we have for kind of Christian Roger Nix, pastor at large. <laughs> thank you for joining us today and thanks, bro. helping us solve all these great theological yeah, mysteries. It's a joy to be here, man. I bless you and what you're doing. Thanks. Awesome. Well, thank you, man. Appreciate it. Tune in again, folks. We appreciate you joining for kind of Christian. We'll see you next week where we solve more of the world's (laughs) theological issues. Thank you so much for listening to Kind of Christian. Hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did, please subscribe and leave us a five-star review.